This is an editorial note. The episode you're about to hear is from a candidate who has withdrawn from the Calgary municipal elections. Again, the episode you are about to hear is from a candidate who has withdrawn from the Calgary municipal elections. Thank you and enjoy. This is the Cross Border Interview Podcast with Ted Knudsen. Welcome back to the Cross Border Interview Podcast. Today's guest is Calgary City Council candidate for Ward 8, Ted Knutson. Ted, thank you so much for doing this. Chris, thanks so much for having me. Um, I, I start off all my interviews the same way, so I'm going to start it with the same way that I start with yours. Where did your sense of duty to serve come from, Ted? Well, I mean, that's that's a really great question. I've never been asked that one in that form before. Um, you know, I, I think it starts with my dad and and my family. So, you know, as a kid, uh, uh, service to the community um, was was always sort of a major part of of what we were reared on, um, both by example and and what we were encouraged to take part in. So, I think there was always always a baseline with that. But like everybody, I sort of got uh, busy with life and focused on career and sort of uh, self-motivated goals. But 2020 came and sort of shook everything up for me. So I was the vice president of the Cliff Bungalow Mission Community Association and dabbling with some fundraising and helping with events. But then when the pandemic and resultant lockdown came, I realized that a community association be, should be putting forth a really robust response. And, uh, you know, many of our volunteers and our board members were uh, pretty maxed out already um, or seniors and, and a little bit intimidated by all the information that was coming out. And so uh, the, the, the board and the volunteers were supportive of something happening. Um, but a, a little bit hamstrung as to, to, to do it themselves. Whereas I had a lighter portfolio than many of the people and also um, fairly quickly into the pandemic got laid off myself. And so I was given full support to plunge ahead and, and, and dive in and create a robust response from scratch, which meant in this case, uh, recruiting entirely new volunteer teams that were of an age and, and ability to, to be able to tackle the situation. And we just got really, really ambitious and thought, what's everything a CA should do? And then attempted to do everything. And uh, long story short, it was throughout the that process and seeing the results and connecting with the people who were really affected by the pandemic and needed help, um, such as the seniors and the immunocompromised and people in quarantine that we were delivering groceries to. It's just really rubber meets the road kind of stuff where I got to see directly the impacts of community involvement and I got the bug. Now you can give back in multiple ways. Like you just, you're talking about nonprofit getting involved in the community association, but in 2021, you've decided to run for city council. What is it about the draw to city council and the draw of politics that made you want to get involved now? What was it about in 2021 that you said to yourself, okay, you know what? 
this is the time that I need to get involved. And this is the time that I need to get on council to change things. Well, uh, that's another great question, Chris. Um, What is the draw of politics? There's absolutely no draw to politics for me. I have never aspired to be a politician. Um, A lot of what has traditionally been involved with politics does not align well with me. I am not a self-promoter at all. I'm not comfortable with that at all. Um, And a lot of the the need to be very careful and diplomatic and equivocate sometimes, it just does not align with my personality. That said, um, we have been fortunate to have an amazing city councillor in Ward 8 for the past two terms, Evan Woolley. Um, He's very highly thought of and has done a lot of great work and is, uh, in my estimation, decidedly progressive. And when it became apparent that uh, Evan uh, was not going to run again, that created a real unknown and a real concern in me, um, especially with the rise of populism um, and some sort of pendulum swing away from some uh, potentially progressive uh, approaches. Um, I just wanted to make sure that there was somebody in the race advocating for progressive solutions to the city's problem. And at that time, uh, there weren't any clear, clearly progressive people in the race, uh, at, at least by my estimation. This is end of 2020 where I was making these decisions. So I decided to... Uh, encouraged by um, uh, people that I was meeting in the the community, I decided to throw my hat in the ring and make sure that there was somebody advocating for progressive solutions to problems and some of the social issues like uh, the opioid crisis and homelessness. These are third rails which have no easy answers and as such um, can be sort of steered around or avoided by, by some uh, candidates. Um, as it turns out, um, we actually have, it's a wide race now with eight people, including myself, several of whom are quite progressive. Um, and so I entered it not specifically with an idea to win or to further my career, but to make sure there was a champion for progressive issues who who was coming to the table um, with some ideas of my own and uh, encouraging um, the other candidates to have to stake their positions as well. And an offshoot of that Um, We tend to silo issues, so social issues over here, economic issues over here. But I think the truth is they're complex and they're intermingled. One affects the other. And so um, this is also a time when, um, given economic challenges, there are people who are advocating for uh, cutting taxes and cutting services, which is attractive on a level, um, but... I, as a voter, I want to see an understanding of the implications of cutting services and whom that affects. And I want to see an understanding of the root causes of some of the tax situations we're facing right now, notably the downtown tax shift. And so uh, in in service of, of voters like myself, I want to make sure there was somebody at the forums asking the hard questions and attempting to deliver uh, nuanced answers. 
Okay. So there's a lot to unpack with the last three minutes of what you just said. And I want to make sure we have enough time to unpack it. But the first thing I need to ask the question, and you've written a blog on your website, Ted for Ward 8, Ted number four, Ward 8. Um, what is a progressive to you? Well, to me, um, it, it's uh, a willingness to look for new solutions to old problems. Um, it's a willingness to challenge the status quo. So we are a city, an example for you is we are a city based on vehicles. We have been designed and built, purpose built for uh, automobiles. Um, but there are all sorts of problems with that in terms of sprawl, uh, in terms of the uh, infra infrastructure costs to support that sprawl. Um, you know, a, a, a roadways have a 30-year lifespan. We have 16,000 lane kilometers of roads right now in Calgary and growing. And uh, we, we, without a significant rethink of, of how we approach transportation, um, we're setting ourselves up for uh, struggling with the city's budget to just maintain roadways. Well, you know, things like uh, the cycle track championed by Evan Woolley um, are meaningful solutions to that. Things like the Green Line are meaningful solutions to that that will have real impact. And so, to me, to answer your question, progressivism is simply um, a, a, a willingness to try new things. You you mentioned it beforehand. You talked to uh, residents of Ward 8 before making this decision, decision to run, but also I'm assuming you've talked to them since because you're campaigning. What are you hearing? What is the issue? What is the main issue for Ward 8 that needs to be addressed in the next five years uh, at City Hall that you would wish that this current council would want to address? But let's be honest, they're in campaign mode. They're not going to be addressing it and they're going to be recessing here soon. So what is the issues of Ward 8 that need to be addressed in the next term in the next five years? Well, um, that's a great question as well. And I can't say that there is a consistent one because we are, um, Ward 8 has, uh, or anybody campaigning in Ward 8 certainly has a challenge in front of them because we are a very diverse ward um, from uh, areas like the Beltline and Mission where I live uh, to uh, the Rideau, Roxborough and Elbow Park and Mount Royal and Eltador, uh, Shag and Appy. I mean, these are Martelouk. Um, these are all areas with very uh, distinct and, and, and uh, individual concerns specific to them. Um, uh, so, so I'll spitball a few. Um, certainly a lot of groups have been really concerned by the guidebook for great communities come uh, a guide for local area plan come uh, local area plans uh, like the North Hill plan. Um, that's, that's one of great concern for people because um, it, it has a material effect theoretically on um, the, the makeup of neighborhoods and what they'll be in the future. Um, and some people have some legitimate concerns about that. And I do as well. Um, 
the downtown tax shift, I think, is uh, as, as close as the city comes to an existential crisis, is really upset the way that we fund our city and our growth. And I think we, we really need to ensure that our candidates have an understanding of the mechanisms that are driving the increase in taxes for small business, which we absolutely need to address. And to be frank with people about the potential uh, effects of this on residential tax rates as well. Uh, but to my so mind, I, I'm going to stop you right there because you are the first candidate and I've done about 40 of these interviews to talk about the downtown tax shift. So exactly, uh, you just for those who aren't listening, Ted just basically his eyes just widened, uh, like grew because he was I'm assuming you're surprised that you're hearing that. But I got to ask the question for the people who don't know what that is. What is it? So the downtown tax shift is something that actually is not unique to Calgary, but we are experiencing a particularly intense uh, effect of it. So with the, the global economic downturn and, and the, specifically in the oil patch, um, uh, head offices have been closing up shop. The vacancies in downtown are well over a third now, I believe, certainly over 30%. And so as any uh, uh, property owners know, uh, our, our taxes are based on property values. And so with the exodus of businesses from the downtown core and these empty buildings, um, that means property values have plummeted and hence tax revenues have plummeted. And in a tax uh, or a revenue neutral structure such as Calgary has for our budget uh, as determined by the Municipal Governance Act, those funds need to be made up elsewhere if they're not coming in the downtown. And we've been so lucky to have to be the city of head offices and to have a really bustling uh, uh, economically active downtown. Um, and, and so that has resulted in some rather positive tax rates for uh, small business, but certainly for, for homeowners traditionally. We are at the low end of the scale in cities across Canada because of that cash cow that we've had downtown. We don't have that now. We need to both come up with a near-term strategy and long-term strategy. And the long-term strategy is obviously get those buildings filled up and get those property uh, taxes rolling back in from the downtown. And there are many strategies that we need to follow to make that happen. But in the near term, we need to figure out how to uh, fairly and equitably share that tax burden. I, I believe that it has um, in the immediate been unfairly shouldered by small business and the knock-on effects of that are, are obvious. Some businesses are going out of business altogether and the cascade effect of that is, is uh, uh, horrible. And so I, my belief, while it's not a good news story, um, and while uh, it's not something you'll catch a lot of candidates saying, I believe that in the near term, uh, residential tax rates are going to have to go up to sh shoulder that burden until things like 
the downtown revitalization strategy can kick in until we can diversify our economy and get more businesses downtown and do more office building conversion to get more residences downtown. So I want to I want to talk about this because you're the first candidate that I've actually had on the show who's who would be representing a downtown uh, ward. One of the big issues that I'm hearing is city council can try to market the downtown core, try to attract uh, business to the downtown core. But the issue is we're not the only city going through this economic downturn. We're not the only businesses in the city that is losing businesses, picking up shop, compressing, moving their shops to Texas, California, Southern, or even Toronto or Vancouver. How do we change the narrative of Calgary is a place to invest because right now they're picking up shop and they're leaving. Yeah. You know, that is such a, a fantastic question because it, because it is nuanced. Um, you know, it is something that you'll hear out of a lot of candidates and a lot of wards is we need to diversify. We need to attract tech. Well, Every single city in North America and probably the world is saying exactly the same thing. Uh-huh. So to my mind, it, it, industry follows talent and talent follows industry um, in, in equal measure. And so I think we've got a tremendous head start uh, year over year. We are consistently rated either the highest or in the top five of quality of living. So we need to build upon that strength uh, to to attract the businesses, attract the people. Um, people don't, when they decide where to make their, their lives and to maybe start their families when they leave school, um, they're not looking at necessarily rates of taxation or um, uh, uh, roadway infrastructure or, you know, sort of policy wonkish things like that. They're looking at where's there's op- where's their opportunity for recreation, for culture, for uh, are the streets safe? Uh, is this a city that is uh, investing uh, for the future or are they retracting? Uh, you know, these are, are really, really key things. And I think we have to be very, very careful with our spending in terms of uh, a reactive, reactionary desire to, to cut spending. Um, we need to be aware of what signal that sends to industry, to talent, and to the world. And when people are looking to invest their money or their lives in a place, uh, we need to show that we are all in. We are uh, investing in ourselves and improving improvement for the future. We're taking modern approaches to some of the social ills. We are providing opportunities for recreation. Um, and, and we are pushing our chips into the table and we are saying we're all in. Because with the investment uh, in, in the city, it's uh, anti up or walk away from the table. One of the big, big things that I did before moving to Calgary is I, I researched, I, I looked at the stats, I looked at where I'd be moving, uh, news stories. And the one thing I found was the, and I'm not, I do not, do not say that, do not assume that I'm dissing the media here. It's just the narrative that I found when I was researching, when I, the area I was moving to 
there's a narrative that Calgary might not be the safest place to live with a lot of news stories that you're seeing of crime, the opioid addictions, homelessness issues that are coming out because taxes are going up. So people are leaving, losing their houses. So they're out on the street. How can we, and as the next city council for ward eight, how can we address the narrative that Calgary is actually a great place to work, live and raise a family because I see, and I talked to my neighbors who are selling their houses right now. They're afraid that there's going to be too much crime in their neighborhood. They're afraid that their taxes are going to go up and you've just openly said that you'd be willing to raise the residential taxes. So how do we change the narrative to not only attract businesses, but keep our local residents here as well? Yeah, absolutely. We need to to retain the populations we have, especially among the young people. You know, Chris, I'm a little surprised to hear that. I haven't really heard that uh, notion that uh, Calgary is is particularly unsafe. And yet again, it might be just the 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 ward that I live in, Ward Ten Northeast. Um, we we when I moved here, we just recently had the uh, the uh, police officer killed. Uh, we are, we've seen shootings in our area. We've seen gun uh, stabbings in our area. We've seen crime. We've seen gangs. I'm not saying it's a major issue all around, but as the next city council, you are not only there to represent your ward, but you're there to represent all of Calgary as well. Absolutely. Um, well, so I, I believe, um, we are a city coming of age. Uh, we are, have, have traditionally uh, prided ourselves on being the biggest little city. Um, but we are growing and uh, continue to grow and will continue to grow estimates of an extra million people over the next 60 years. Um, and so with, uh, being a big city bring, brings some big city issues, now, I, uh, it, it might be not a typical progressive politician thing to say, but I am such a huge fan of the Calgary Police Service and things they are doing uh, to, to constantly change and evolve to meet the challenges. And one of the neat things that they're doing is uh, uh, taking a packed approach, which is uh, uh, police and community teams i'm sorry the the acronym acronym is is uh, i i understand where you're coming from though yes but but essentially it's a multidisciplinary but disciplinary approach to <clears throat> uh issues with homelessness with uh, uh mental health issues um, um uh, crimes based around the opioid addiction and that sort of thing where they are uh stepping up with their own funding money uh, to to reallocate, to create these teams of uh, social workers, street nurses, along with police, specially trained to address some of these issues. Um, there will always be crime, uh, unfortunately, um, but we need to, to look at root causes. Um, there's certainly been a great deal of social disorder with the opioid crisis. And I'm glad that comes up again, because that would be my final answer to what is uh, uh, the, the major issue for Ward 8. And I would argue the city. Um, we lost more people to uh, in Alberta, lost more people to uh, uh, drug poisoning and overdoses than we did to COVID in 2020. 
and the numbers still continue to climb. And yes, there is social disorder that is uh, a part of that. Um, so, so we need to take some aggressive and progressive strategies to deal with that. One of the things that I'd very much like to see is instead of the Alberta government's plan to close the Sheldon Schumer site, I believe that was set up to fail by having a, a single site rather than multiple sites. And Mayor Nenshi has recently said something similar. So it's become a bit of a lightning rod for this area. Well, we need not uh, to just keep that open. We need to open several more. And I think we'll see that social disorder uh, 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 affected accordingly. Um, I just want to piggyback on that for a second because it's a good it's a good area that I because I was going to talk about that because you did mention opioid uh, crisis in the beginning of the interview, but. Yes, we we should give more access to safe injection sites. I, I am one hundred agree in agreement with this. I should I should should clarify for the folks at home. It's supervised consumption. Sorry, uh, supervised com- consumption. The issue is, and this is this is I I've worked in small rural municipalities. I've worked in uh, I've worked in provincial government. So I've heard this time and time again. The people are okay with it. They just don't want it in their backyard. They don't want it in their neighborhood. So how do you address that issue? Because yet again, if you're next city councilor, you will have to be hearing from residents who don't want it in their backyard. You know, I understand that. Um, I I think uh, it would be commonplace to to rail against that immediately and come up with answers for it. And I certainly will, even in the context of this conversation. But it has to start with a human understanding of um, the reluctance to to have facilities like this. And I get that. I understand it. But here's something that I'm uniquely equipped to, to, to get, given that I have lived in this ward for most all of my adult life. Something that we know is that uh, drug addicted populations and the resultant social disorder did not come with the SafeWorks safe consumption site. It was here before. Uh, These populations are here. Um, Some resulting crime and social disorder was here long before the supervised consumption site. What these facilities do is uh, mitigate some of the the risks and dangers uh, involved in drug use, and they give uh, community residents a resource that we need to deal with the reality. See, there's a supposition inherent in the thought of moving the site elsewhere, that the populations that use drugs and uh, maybe uh, create some social disorder are going to pick up and move with them. And I think just even as I say that aloud, aloud, you and the listeners can understand how ridiculous that notion is. You know, would it be great in terms of knock-on effect to, to the surrounding area to plunk it down in the industrial area? on a level, but it's just not going to work. Um, there's statistics um, and, and studies that show that um, uh, most most uh, uh, drug users will do, uh, travel a maximum of a kilometer to access their supply. And if we are not uh, um, 
providing places for these supplies to be consumed where they are, um, it's going to end up in parks. It's going to end up in back alleys. It's going to end up um, with uh, uh, bodies on our streets. And that sounds hyperbolic, Chris, but uh, I, I can say, say that safely because uh, it's not hyperbole. I myself have found an overdose victim in the stairwell of my condo building. Um, these problems are here. And so we, we can't move the problem. So let's apply resources where the problems exist. And SafeWorks is brilliant. Just a quick shout out to them. Maybe a lot of people don't know that they are not just a resource for the drug users. They're a resource for the, the surrounding area. If you find needle debris, if you have questions or concerns, um, if, if you see uh, people that you feel might need help or accessing services, you can phone them. And also the Alpha House's dope team. These are resources to help us deal with the reality that is here. Um, I'm just cautious of time here, and I want to make sure that I hit the big three topics that everyone is talking about. Hey, right you now. got me all day, man. Let's go. <laughs> Let, let's do it. Um, the first one I want to talk about is COVID-19. It has changed the name of the game when it comes to how municipal governments operate, because during the pandemic, we had to slash services because we could not offer them. Pools had to be closed down. Residential recreational fields had to be closed down. We are now in the recovery zone. Knock on wood. Knock on wood, when this airs, everyone will have had their shot. We are still putting the vaccines out there. But I got to ask the question, the next council is going to have a hard time when it comes to services and taxes, because residents are still struggling. People are still laid off. People are still struggling to find jobs. Services are going to have to start back up, which means cost to the city is going to go up from this year. How do we ensure, how do we ensure that every resident comes out of this recovery on equal playing foot and not left behind? Oh, I love the framing of that question um, because implicit there is the realization that uh, service cuts do not affect uh, all groups equally. And so it's very easy to advocate for service cuts to um, youth programs or to transit when you don't need those services, when you can afford to go uh, to, to the, the larger uh, facilities like uh, Repsol or, or, or that sort of thing, um, <clears throat> cuts to, to pools and rec facilities affect you a little less. And yet it's these uh, struggling, just starting out uh, young folks these are the people that are going to really drive our economic recovery. And so we need to ensure that those services are there. And, and again, it's not going to be popular. It's not going to be winning me any votes in certain quarters. But I believe we need our residential tax base to shoulder more of the burden. And this is not... Um, I think this was something that was coming anyways. This is not a result of COVID. It's not a result of the economic downturn. It's the imbalance that we created with the uh, immense cash cow of downtown. Um, this was coming. We are in a really, really 
preferential situation in terms of tax rates compared to other cities. And I think if we get back into the mean of that, into the average, uh, I think we will be really, really strong and in a great position to maintain our services uh, at a level that will continue to both retain the talent that we have and attract future talent. And I, it's, it's a little bit corny, but I always look in my own life and in my work life, I look for the opportunities in crisis. And I think COVID has presented a unique challenge if we are brave enough to take it to try new things and try new approaches. You've talked about how some um, uh, budgets have been pared back uh, to, to align with the reduced revenues. Well, as we ramp those back up, rather than just blindly throwing money back to how we were doing it before, maybe this is a chance to reevaluate. And as we roll that money back into spending to maintain services, find ways to do these services better. And um, again, the name of the program is escaping me. I'm going to blame my uh, uh, heat stroke from the weekend. <laughs> Um, but, you know, something that galls me a little bit is that um, uh, uh, we council candidates come to the table saying, here's a problem and we need to do something about it with the supposition that the city administration and council hasn't been doing a blessed thing. But nothing could be further from the truth. Um, a really great program was enacted where department by department, um, they went through to look at services and to find efficiencies and to save money. And I think really, really great work is being done uh, in this area, Chris. And so I, what I would like to see is myself and other councillors giving credit where credit is due and uh, pledging to support work that's already done rather than throwing that out and attempting to start from scratch. We've talked about it a little bit here, but COVID-19 has made, and I'm, I, I use these words uh, because I just watched an interview this morning with a, a politician down, this, uh, down in the States, but the rich are rich and the poor get further and further behind. I, I, I'm going to challenge you on it because I, I want to make sure that I do my due diligence here, but as someone who has said you need to raise taxes on residentials to the, for the fair share to ensure that that offset of the downtown core that we're losing, Mm-hmm. How do you get to the people who are the lowest income earners in the city and say, you know what, we need to raise your taxes just a little bit more to ensure that everyone gets ahead. They're struggling right now. How do we ensure that those people do not go homeless, do not have issues in the future because of a potential tax increase? Um, I'm going to have to ask you to repeat that question only because halfway through the uh, audio froze for me. No, understandable. So you, you have, I'm going to reword it in a little bit here, but you have said that you are in favor of a tax increase to offset the downtown business tax issues that we're having right now. Correct. Yeah. How correct. do you, how do you then go to, a area of the city that is hard hit and say, we need to raise your taxes because businesses is leaving this town on someone who is 
struggling to get by, who is having a hard time, who has lost their job to COVID-19. That is the area that I think a lot of people have concerns about is you can't continuously pile on to the people who have struggled the most. Can you? Well, um, no, no. I mean, the short answer is no. And, and yeah, I, I think that's a great question, but it's a very complex one and difficult to answer in a few minutes. You, you said we best. have all the time here, so let's talk about it, Chad. <laughs> yeah, I'll, I'll do my double best, Chris. Um, and so uh, anytime that we look at uh, increasing revenues through taxation, I think there needs to be a mechanism uh, to, to uh, abate um, or mitigate for um, certain income levels um, for, for people who have lost jobs. Um, we, we can't just sort of uh, apply a, a blanket across the board uh, uh, approach at a time when some people are struggling, absolutely. Um, but the the conditions that the city needs to create to ensure jobs are there for people to who have lost jobs to get jobs, um, those cost money. And so, well, uh, from uh, one perspective, uh, a, a, an increase in taxes um, is uh, a, a, a net negative from somebody's bottom line. Um, if, if it is applied in a way that creates the conditions, um, both for services that uh, allow them to get around, allow them to get out into the workforce, um, if we can uh, allow residences to shoulder just a little bit more of the bo uh, burden, um, we can ease the burden on small businesses so that they have the room to expand. Um, my hope is that, um, uh, we can we can offset things and I, offset the effect on on those homeowners who are struggling right now. And I do appreciate you answering that question. It's just because we were talking about COVID-19 and I wanted to ask that question. And I, and I do appreciate you answering it in the way that you did, because I think a lot of people misunderstand that sometimes some people who might advocate for taxes think that everyone should pay the fair share. Everyone should pay the exact same, no matter if you live in like a million dollar mansion or a hundred thousand dollar condo. So I appreciate you do by answering that question. So thank you. Well, it's not an easy one, um, but I got into this to make sure myself and others are trying to answer the hard questions and, and so I know there are some listeners that will have heard what I've said, and it's, it's a bit of an incomplete answer um, because honestly, it is. Um, this is something that will require uh, a group effort and uh, knowledge, best practices, data, evidence um, from all of the councillors and all of our wonder, wonderful city uh, administration. Um, and uh, you know, there's a supposition that anybody running for council has all the answers. And I'm here to tell you, none of us do. Uh, we are we're struggling to drink from the fire hose and learn about all the issues. Um, I'm just uh, really, really a believer in, in telling it like it is the way that I see it and not pandering. And I think anybody that is uh, proposing uh, tax cuts right now and the result in spending, 
um, is, is perhaps maybe a little bit guilty of pandering. We need to tell it like it is, not be told what we want to hear. And I appreciate that because I, I try to hold people who come on the show accountable when they say they want tax cuts because I ask the, the follow-up question, inflation happens, cost of business goes up. So you automatically are already assuming that nothing is going to happen over the next five years, next four years. And I, I want to know what services will you cut to ensure that you don't increase taxes? Because that's the, that's the first thing that has to go. You don't raise taxes, services have to go. So thank you for answering it. And thanks for being honest too. Well, something that, that also occurs to me, and it's not universal across Calgary, but I, I, I reflect sometimes on the notion of uh, saving pennies when we're losing dollars. So um, where I live, my property values have decreased significantly by uh, the uh, city's most recent assessment. I've, I've lost $30,000 of, of value uh, in the, the small condo that I live in. Um, so so at, at this point, a tax increase um, that might result in continued uh, devaluation of, of the, my property, like the single biggest investment I'll ever make uh, to save a couple hundred bucks a year uh, when, when I'm losing thousands of dollars in, in property value. I just that that math doesn't square to me. You know, we need sort of a long term vision to ensure that we have a city that is going to invest and create the conditions for property values to rebound and go up. And, you know, for, uh, I think the same is true for me as it, as, as it is for many people and in very direct ways. Um, my investment in my home is, you know, my nest egg for retirement and to, to see that plummeting in value, and have somebody offer me a $200 or whatever, uh, just picking in numbers out of the air, uh, break in taxes per year. Uh, yes, $200 can go a long way and make a big difference. Um, but we really need to uh, make some hard choices now uh, to, to ensure that those long-term investments that people are making come to fruition. One of the hard decisions that this council, and I would assume, I would actually say the last probably 15 years of council uh, has had to make is around the green line, the green line, the green line, the green line. Um, you <laughs> will be the, you will be representing a ward that is near, if not, and I don't know the exact overlay if it it goes into ward eight, but uh, part of ward eight, correct? No, it, it doesn't. It just, like bypasses it, sort of nicks the northern corner and northeast corner kind of thing. Um, we will definitely be affected by it. So there's the notion that if the green line isn't running through your ward, it doesn't affect that ward. And that's not true at all. Um, there are all sorts of complex nuanced effects. And let's start with ward eight. Um, the work that they're going to have to do downtown and around Eau Claire is going to require the movement of utilities and such. And that's going to, depending on how that is executed, is going to affect our ward. Um, the effects on traffic 
uh, um, throughout the city is something that people are going to see. Um, and, you know, of course, the effects on, on a city budget uh, making such a, a, a large, the largest ever, am I correct? Uh, if, if I believe so, yes. Um, so, so, of course, that's going to have effects as well. Um, so uh, jump in here, Chris, and remind me what the question is. And I hadn't even gotten to the question yet. Is it an issue that you're hearing at the doorstep from the residents of Ward 8? Because like you said, some people assume that if it if the green line does not go through directly through your ward, no one's talking about it. So are people of Ward 8 talking about the green line? You know, it's not top of the list. Um, but in my experience, and this is purely anecdotal, um, support is, is 100%. Um, you know, there are, whether it's the 20,000 potential jobs that'll be created through it, uh, the reduction of uh, uh, traffic congestion and snarl, um, the, the signals that it sends outwardly in terms of investing in our city and being a truly modern metropolis, um, the, the frustration is only in the delays uh, and the, the, the way those delays have impacted the budget um, when, when procurement costs are, are going up, um, we need to lock in now. That's what people in Ward 8 are saying. Well, and that's what I want to know, because this is an issue that has been on the council table since I would say the late 1990s, if I'm not mistaken, if I've done my math correctly, it was first discussed then. How do we ensure this project finally gets going? Because it seems like delay after delay after delay, we are increasing that $4 billion, $5 billion, soon to possibly even be $5.5 billion price tag. That is the green line. And everyone's saying, let's just get on with it. And the, the stalemate that is city council has not changed. Yeah, well, the stalemate, to my understanding, is not um, in council. It's um, in the intergovernmental discussion with the province. Um, okay. So to, to council's credit, um, they, they have been pretty committed to get shovels in the ground. And some of the hiccups have come with recent discussions with the province. And boy, oh boy, you know... Uh, a positive relationship and, and a, a fruitful working relationship with the other orders of government is so critical to anything we do. Um, but unfortunately, it's the municipal orders of government that are left to deal with the on-the-ground effects. And I think some recent uh, discussions and developments in the phasing uh, of the uh, Green Line uh, that have addressed some of uh, Minister McIver's uh, worries about a, a train line to nowhere, I think are going to help move this forward. I think I'm, the most recent news about it that I've seen seems to be that we are getting really close to kicking things off. I know some preparatory work is happening. Um, and maybe the uh, August target date to start construction might not happen this year. But, uh, you know, we've just got to dive in and start uh, in, incremental progress is progress nonetheless. 
And I'm really encouraged by some of the directions that some of these uh, intergovernmental uh, discussions have been taking. Um, uh, I, I know that uh, Minister McIver uh, uh, loves Calgary. He was a, a councillor here for many years. I've had the opportunity to meet the man. And I believe he sincerely uh, wants the best for the city. And in those discussions, I think we'll find our way through and we'll make it happen. Perfect. Um, before we start wrapping up, there is another area that I want to talk about is your first term on council. You were the su successful candidate on October 18th. Sorry, you broke, you broke up again. Oh, sorry about that. It must be my internet. It's been sorry. really, uh, do you hear me now? Hello, test one, two, three. Okay, perfect. I'm just going to write down the time so that way I cut out the bad parts. Um, one of the areas that I want to talk about is your first term on council. And most importantly, your first year on council. Mm -hmm. What is your first priority, your very first priority, if elected on October 18th? Wow, what an interesting question. Um, <laughs> You know, I, I, I think uh, I would take, I used to be an emergency medical technician. Um, and uh, there's a concept in uh, emergency medical services and in first aid, uh, which is um, life over limb. So um, if, if you are presented with a hard choice about um, what to do uh, first for a patient, you ensure that their breathing uh, and their circulation is, is patent. And then you work to uh, worry about spinal injuries or limb injuries or that sort of thing. And so um, I, I would uh, triage it exactly the same way in terms of what are some situations uh, putting uh, lives at risk, uh, i.e. the opioid uh, crisis, um, homelessness. Um, I think those would be pretty top of the list. Um, but uh, when we, th if we think of the city as a living, breathing or organism, um, uh, well, life over limb there is uh, ensuring some uh, clear ways forward to address the downtown tax shift so that that lifeblood of revenue uh, is secure, uh, both in the near term and in the long term. And now looking at the bigger picture of your first term on council, what would be a successful first term on council? What would be the few things that you would want to ensure got done? Because let's be honest, politics moves at a snail pace sometimes. So what would be a successful first term for yourself? It does work, move at a snail's pace sometimes, and things uh, are downright glacial, uh, at least from uh, what it seems on the outside. Um, you know, for me, I'm, I, I'm in project management, um, and something that in project management we know is that any project uh, needs to have a metric for success that is quantifiable. And so I would look at the numbers that we're up against right now and use those of my, as my metric of success. And one of those is, uh, you know, the current vacancy rate downtown of 30% uh, plus vacancy. We know that we need to have that between 12 to 15 to have a stabilized uh, revenue center. 
And so uh, I would be throwing everything we have at uh, uh, achieving that target. Um, we have a, uh, a, a clear number of people who are dying right now because of the opioid crisis. Um, we will never eliminate that number, um, but uh, significantly impacting that number downwards so that the, the, those numbers are falling and trending in the right direction. Um, you know, it's, it's direct metrics like that that I would establish uh, as my metrics of success and would have the residents of Ward 8 hold me accountable to. Perfect. Now, this is my favorite question of the interview because I, I, I turned the microphone over to you, not that I haven't for the last 45 minutes to 50 minutes, but I asked the one question that's on everyone's mind. Why should you be the next city councillor for the great ward, Ward 8? Well, I should be the next councillor for Ward 8 if the Ward 8 residents want somebody who is going to tell them what they need to know, not what they want to hear. I am the, uh, committed to uh, facing unflinchingly some of the complex challenges that we face. And right now, uh, with populist politics, we are going to have people uh, telling us what we want to hear. Um, I'm going to cut your taxes. I'm going to attract tech. I'm going to do this, that, and the other thing. Um, and I find um, simple solutions like that, whilst they feel good and sound good, uh, they don't pass the smell test. I believe it is a political uh, mechanism to simplify issues to easy answers. We need people to admit that there are not easy answers to many of these complex issues, to embrace the complexity and show an understanding of it, and a willingness to work with all parties to find the middle ground, uh, because uh, it's, it's difficult to find a solution that's gonna make everybody happy, but any solution that hasn't factored in input from all quarters uh, is, is bound to fail. And so uh, I, what I pledge throughout this campaign and if elected throughout uh, my term is, is to uh, really take on that complexity, work and engage with uh, community residents um, to, to find the, the, the answers that result uh, in, in positive motion forward uh, and not just feel good uh, feelings in the immediate. Um, Ted, I want to thank you so much, but before we do go, I have one last set of questions. It's how can people get involved in your campaign? Campaigns take volunteers. I'm assuming you're out canvassing and you'd like people to come out and help you, but how can people get involved? How can people reach out to you, ask questions? What's, what's, how can they do that? Well, I, I appreciate you asking that question. Absolutely. I want everybody in Ward 8 to be engaged. Um, typically, uh, municipal engagement is uh, the lowest of all the uh, uh, orders of government, but arguably municipal governance is the one that affects people the most. So what I would like to do is, is to have people 
consider my campaign, but also all of the others. We've got eight people who are very, very committed and all good people to the best of my knowledge who have different ideas about how to, to tackle the issues we're facing. And so I would encourage everybody to uh, join their community association forums uh, to learn more, uh, to visit our, my website and the website of the other ca uh, candidates. Um, on, I believe, all of our websites, but certainly mine. There's a way where you can donate if you wish, if you like what you see in terms of a policy approach. Um, there's a form you can send in to express a, a willingness to, to volunteer. Um, and really, at, at the end of the day, what matters most is people being engaged um, with whichever candidate really speaks to, to their values. And if you start at a place of shared values and understand what yours are, I'm sure that you'll be able to find a candidate that aligns with that and reach out, uh, send an email, send in a form, uh, place a call, uh, and you will be welcomed in whichever campaign you choose to join. Ted, I want to thank you so much. To my listeners and to my viewers, the links to Ted's website, Facebook page, and Twitter, and if I'm not mistaken, Instagram, will be in the show notes. So take a look at it. Like he said, get involved in this campaign. It is an important election, and I think that every person should be getting out and knocking on some doors and listening to their neighbors, but also getting out and voting. So, Ted, thank you so much for doing this. Well, Chris, I'd just like to take this time to turn that back on you and, and thank you for what you're doing. Uh, I, I referenced earlier how uh, traditionally municipal uh, elections uh, get the least amount of engagement, but are arguably have the biggest effect on people's lives. And what you're doing right now by uh, asking the hard questions of the candidate and presenting this information to people is such a tremendous service to the voters. Uh, we are in a time of life right now, we are absolutely inundated by information from every corner, even outside of election signal, uh, uh, election cycle. And in an election cycle, it amps up. And people need voices they can trust who are asking the hard questions to help them make those early decisions about uh, uh, where to do their research, where to volunteer, where to donate to. And what you're doing right now is uh, doing exactly that. You're giving people a flying head start to know exactly what the score is. And it is a tremendous service you're doing. So, and if I do say so myself, after a few minutes of talking to you, I think you're doing a pretty good job of it too. <laughs> Thank you so much. Cross-Border Interview Podcast was produced and edited by Miranda Brown Associates.